Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's exciting webinar. I'm Tim Stark, and I'm the host of today's exciting event. I am a professor of civil engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and the technical director of the Fabricated Geomembrane Institute. <clears throat> this is our second webinar of 2020, and the remaining 10 webinars for 2020 have already been scheduled with great speakers and timely topics, which I'll at least share the next webinar with you at the end of web the webinar today. You can go to the FGI website and register for these 10 webinars uh, if you'd like. Today's broadcast, uh, during today's webinar, we welcome questions and comments which can be typed into the question box in the control panel. You may send in your questions at any time during the presentation, and our speaker will address these questions at the end of today's presentation. The recording of this webinar and a PDF of the slides will be made available on the FGI website after today's presentation. PDH certificates will be sent automatically to all who attend the entire webinar. Today's webinar speaker is Graham Fairhead. Graham is the Managing Director of FabTech Australia, based near Adelaide, Australia. Graham has been designing and installing geomembrane liner and cover systems for dams, reservoirs, irrigation channels, ponds, canals, and tanks for many years. Today, Graham will focus on floating cover systems. Graham is also the current president of the Australasian chapter of the International Geosynthetic Society, or ACIGS. The title of Graham's webinar today is Floating Cover Systems for Ponds and Reservoirs. Graham, thanks for squeezing this webinar into your busy schedule and joining us from Adelaide, Australia. The, rev the webinar is now yours. Thanks, Tim. And you can see the slides okay, Tim? Yes. Good. Okay. So um, here's just just to start, um, here's um, an example of um, a floating cover. This is in, um, in South Africa, Cape Town, the Western Cape, Simons Town. It was provided um, by uh, our friends at Aquitan. It's um, a concrete um, water storage reservoir, polypropylene flooding cover installed um, uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, 2017. Originally about 30 years ago built in um, CSP. I've got a couple of um, uh, interesting examples. This is, um, um, this is somewhere that I need to move this, excuse me. This is um, uh, interesting, it's kind of halfway between Australia and, um, and North America, the Marshall Islands. This is actually uh, Marjoro. You can see at the back here a runway. Um, this is a hard water harvesting system for that runway. Um, in the foreground here is water storage. You can see there's a wall here to be lifted to create more storage. And here's where the floating covers are. We built these um, about six or eight years ago. and um, Here's my supervisor here. I like this photograph. Uh, we had great difficulty um, getting Dean back from that particular project. Another example, this one's from um, uh, America. Uh, Doug, Doug Hiltz um, sent me this, um, uh, this example. He was the, uh, the engineer of this project. It's built in uh, CSPE. Very large storage. Um, re relatively common, these large storages in, in North America. This is nearly a gigalitre of volume. 70 odd thousand square meters um, of material. Um, and then um, a couple more here, examples of um, floating cover storages. On the left here in, in, uh, in Israel, in the Middle East, Israel's interesting. The, um, um, most of the water in Israel is um, desalinated water. It can be quite aggressive uh, with lining materials. Um, it's uh, chlorinated, um, so it's quite difficult for the materials to handle. Very, very high UV in the Middle East. Um, this was built in 2006 using EIA materials, about 30,000 square meters of material. 
And then on the right here, we've got um, an example from uh, from Europe, um, Mediterranean Spain, the southern Spain. The evaporation levels there are around about one and a half meters a year. In this case, it's an olive um, farm irrigation storage uh, made out of um, polyethylene. Um, Tim uh, often refers to simple covers, uh, and this is probably an example where it's been built to a price. Um, uh, very uh, simple features on the covers, uh, not particularly expensive materials. I'll point out also here, you can see on both of these, um, the tensioning system here is a central, what's called a central plate system. Kind of follows the uh, the toe of the dam when the cover's low and equally here you can see there's a kind of central plate configuration there. So, um, so just to introduce the topics I'm going to talk to, um, briefly talk about some differences between Australia and North America. Um, applications for floating covers where they're used, talk about the design of static covers and dynamic covers, materials, construction, managing asset life of covers, and um, a few case studies. This is um, quite a good example here of a, um, a sophisticated, uh, complicated cover, um, the opposite to the Spanish example. Um, this is um, potable water made of uh, EIA materials. You can see the ballast line through the middle here that's creating tension in the cover, floats either side, floats um, in, on the right-hand side here are providing a walkway as well. Another um, float system through here, vents, covers sitting very well, they're nice and taut. Um, good example of a um, well-built cover. So comparing um, North America and Australia, the first thing is population. Um, in, uh, in North America, about 20 times more people, so I guess it's about 20 times more water, 20 times more water assets, 20 times more covers. But more, uh, more critically, the important thing is probably um, here on the right-hand side. So you can see the uh, UV loading in Australia, red, very high, very high here um, in, the, in the Middle East, that um, Israeli example. Uh, it's similarly in, in the south of North, North America, but up here, of course, it's cold. Illustrated here, um, we don't have to deal with those cold temperatures in Australia. That does cause issues around uh, snow, cold temperatures, stiffness of materials, uh, ice. Not familiar with those situ those situations um, in Australia at all. Um, generally, floating covers are um, a much more cost-efficient solution than um, um, structural covers, and demand also is, uh, is is increasing. As we speak today in Australia here, uh, we're technically in drought in 30% of the country. The big driving force here is um, greenhouse gas emissions um, to uh, reduce odours, methane, let methane and valerate, um, methane being a harmful uh, greenhouse gas, and even better still to harvest that gas and uh, beneficial reuse of that gas. So thinking about um, applications then, um, potable water is probably one of the premium um, applications. Uh, it's a vital resource, uh, it's expensive to produce, and needs storing carefully, need to avoid evaporation losses, uh, provide a stable temperature environment to maintain water quality, um, keep the water clean, and um, usually floating covers provide the most efficient solution for larger storages. Again, this um, this picture here is an example of a um, potable water floating cover. This this example is in um, is in South Australia. It's um, uh, a CSP, a hyper long cover. Again, similar features you saw before. Walkways, stable platform walkways to a sampling hatch here. Again, the ballast line through here with floats either sides and air vents and so forth. Typical potable water storage cover. Wastewater is the second category I've uh, identified for today. Um, often uh, wanting to um, stop gas emissions, um, often um, quite unpleasant odours, um, and also uh, in Australia quite often um, 
Uh, rainwater uh, is an issue, inventory management, um, so covers are put on to keep rainwater out of the wastewater facility. And then increasingly, um, we're seeing um, interest in an anaerobic reactors, uh, covers to help the anaerobic reaction process and harvest the gas um, and use the gas for beneficial uh, reuse. So continuing with that theme of anaerobic digesters, here's an example. Um, it's um, a facility that we've built about six or seven years ago. It's in um, Queensland, um, in, uh, on the uh, east coast of um, Australia. It's a, a large uh, abattoir, a red meat, um, meat processing facility, largest um, in Australia. You can see um, here's, the, here's part of the lagoon and the cover. Uh, it's um, a positive pressure cover, you can see the cover's inflated. There's a second lagoon over here as well. Here's, um, here's a flare uh, when they're not able to, re to use the gas in the, in the production plant. They can flare the gas here. This is the uh, pressure control um, system. And this, I got this um, off the web. So this, this article here is claiming that um, uh, they reduced their carbon emissions by 89%. Uh, having uh, installed these anaerobic reactors and saved a million dollars a year in uh, in uh, energy bills. So good good example of uh, beneficial reuse. Um, so anaerobic reactors um, uh, and wastewater facilities uh, have a static water level, so the cover design only has to sit at a constant level. Uh, you don't have to worry about um, fluctuating up and down, but they still need ballasting. Um, they, uh, they, you can see here some ballasting feature to provide um, some cover tension, um, stormwater trough for stormwater collection, rainwater collection, and cover stability. Uh, these covers are uh, can be either operated in uh, positive pressure or uh, negative pressure. Uh, on the left at the bottom here, you can see here's um, quite a common uh, example from Asia um, where they have very, very simple covers. They work under positive pressure, they're inflated. Um, this example here uh, is also a positive pressure cover design uh, running at quite low pressures at this stage during commissioning. Anchoring of the covers, um, pretty much like um, um, uh, similar to liners, so they can either be, see quite clear here, see uh, it's uh, an earthen anchor trench, um, or they can be secured to concrete um, concrete beams. Another another uh, feature here I want to point out was um, for gas harvesting, you can see um, here's a perforated uh, pipe system that runs around the periphery of the storage, and that's to allow the gas to migrate to the edges of the lagoon and then uh, there's this gas main around the outside, and um, uh, there'll be collection ports to collect that gas. In terms of constructing these storages, these static storages, um, there's a couple of options. So uh, they're um, they're pretty much always uh, installed onto a full lagoon. You can see in the bottom here. It's a new build facility, uh, happens to be an abattoir as well. Um, and that, that's quite helpful because it's just plain water in that particular lagoon. The other three uh, illustrations there, they're active um, wastewater facilities, so gas becomes a significant health and safety issue. Uh, methane going to make sure um, it's extracted from the work front and um, uh, manage uh, heat uh, and um, ignition points. This is a this is a an example here where the material is being um, fabricated along the edge of the lagoon. So this is a polyethylene cover. The material's six seven meter wide um, rolls that have been welded together, and when they've been prefabricated, they are then deployed here across across the lagoon. Same thing here being deployed across the lagoon. This on the bottom right is a, is a very large um, gas harvesting cover. 
there aren't so many of uh, examples like this, but the colors of this size, there's only one solution, that's to create a work platform that floats in the lagoon um, and the materials fabricated on that work platform uh, in the lagoon. So if we, if we now um, move on to um, dynamic covers. So the issue we have here, you can see this uh, cart in the top. So the uh, when the lagoon's empty, the cover is sitting on the uh, on the liner on the base of the lagoon. When water's um, when when the storage is full, the cover's floating on the water, uh, and the uh, the area of the cover is smaller. And we use this these weights, these ballast weights, and floats to uh, to take up that slack material, that excess material, and keep keep the cover surface um, taut and under control. And that's the whole reason of those uh, ballast lines and float lines. There is an alternative. Um, the ballast that ballasting system is the most common. Um, this is an alternative system. It's used um, a little bit in the states. I've seen a couple of examples of this in in um, in North America. And in this case, um, there's a um, feature here in the cover, cables in these posts, um, there's weights or springs, and they just pull on the cover to create tension in the cover. So design features for um, dynamic covers. So we need this this um, this ballasting system. Uh, this is uh, this is ballasted in a in a double Y configuration. So there's a Y shape here, and there's a second Y shape here. Um, the alternative you saw in some of the earlier pictures is is to put ballast put those ballast lines around the uh, around the toe of the dam effectively, uh, and those those systems are usually referred to as um, central plate configurations. We need the ballasting. You can see the cover is pretty smooth and flat. Uh, we want that, that condition for a number of reasons. It allows the water to run off and collect in these ballast lines for um, removing rainwater from the cover. Uh, the cover surface remains cleaner um, and they get a better life from a, a clean uh, cover. Also, when the cover is sitting flat on the water, it's, it has very good wind resistance, actually. It's difficult for the wind to pick up the cover. You don't want too much load though, because you don't want to be pulling um, the bridging features here um, in the in the uh, in the toe where the where the cover meets the um, the batter. Uh, again, this is a potable water example. Um, this is um, uh, EIA material, uh, typical uh, potable water design with um, stable platform walkways uh, to access. This is a diver platform, a stable. Uh, platform that will take the weight of the diver, the diver's, um, the, uh, diver's buddy and his equipment and can enter under the cover uh, through this hatch for inspection or maintenance purposes safely. Um, there's, um, this is the, uh, the water extraction point and so the, um, the stable walkway continues so that you can access that without having to walk over the cover. You can, can walk on these cover materials, they're quite strong. Um, but from a health and safety point of view, it's best to have the designated uh, stable walk platforms uh, for routine um, trafficking on the cover rather than um, particular maintenance. Again, um, air vents, uh, it's usually issues around some entrapped air in water going into these storages and let the air get out. And again, uh, making the point, this is um, quite a complex um, design. Um, and uh, have to bear in mind um, there are simple alternatives with much less of this feature. Uh, they don't look particularly um, elegant, these simple covers, uh, but they can be quite, um, quite uh, cost-effective in the right applications. Other design features, so anchoring, anchoring here, here's a typical um, concrete um, beam. Covers secured by uh, metal battening and bolts. Um, the beam is deliberately set proud of the crest. That's quite effective at helping to keep debris off the cover. Keeping the covers clean helps it prolong life. 
uh, or, or as I mentioned earlier, they can be um, just secured into a uh, an anchor trench. Uh, stormwater management, rainwater management is um, quite an important issue. So this cover down here is um, is uh, undergoing commissioning. So these uh, ballast lines are over full of water that wouldn't normally be like this. Uh, you can see the ballast just down here, and that pump's turned off at the moment. It's being flooded with water to confirm the um, the drain system is working correctly. So this this is a, a floating platform inside. Is this um, a screen? Uh, this is to filter the debris from getting into the um, uh, water pickups. The pickup feature here. In this case, um, there's off an off-cover pump. Um, more common now to have off-cover pumps. Clients prefer not to have to traffic on the cover um, um, unnecessarily. So if we can take the pump off the cover, that means one less reason to go on onto the cover. And uh, here are uh, sensors, water sensors. So uh, the pumps can be operated in manual mode, uh, permanently on, or uh, as would normally be the case, um, in automatic mode. And the pumps would be sized, obviously, to uh, forecast rainfall events um, and um, make sure we can uh, dispose of sufficient water. Other things, here's a close-up of the um, diver's platform. Um, has sufficient buoyancy and stability to carry the weight of the diving equipment. Usually these things are locked. Um, this hatchway is uh, typically about 1.2 metres in size. That's sufficient for the diver to get in. Uh, we've incorporated, in this case, a uh, sampling port also in the hatch. Uh, so you don't have to open the hatch and have a uh, hazard in terms of falling into the lagoon uh, to sample water. Um, so moving on to materials, the, um, the properties we need are tensile performance um, to take the design tensile loads to keep the cover taut, uh, be able to traffic it for repairs and maintenance and wind loads, uh, puncture resistance in case things are dropped in the cover or even um, abuse, um, vandalism can be an issue. The uh, dynamic covers need to flex, um, so need flexible material. All of these covers are exposed to uh, UV, um, so UV performance and chemical resistance. I mentioned uh, anaerobic reactors, particularly fats, oils, greases, acids. Um, puddle water and chlorine is quite aggressive, and uh, even desalinated water can be very uh, aggressive with geomembrane materials. In terms of the design life, materials that control and factor for a floating cover. Um, um, often um, there's a requirement to um, to access underneath the cover. Um, uh, plants will often want a cover that's removable, that's not feasible, but at least we can provide access to divers or vehicles uh, through the cover and underneath and some kind of porting system to remove uh, sludge and scum. Life tends to uh, fall into short category or long life, short typically 10 years or more, um, where the focus is around the initial asset cost and would tend to use uh, less expensive materials or long asset life. Typically, um, 100 years um, is, is not uncommon here in Australia. Materials won't last that long. Materials, um, 30, 40 years, maybe a little bit more, some materials. Um, and planned um, cover replacement cycles are necessary in those circumstances. So looking at the material options, um, polyethylene um, is, uh, is an excellent material, has some very, very good properties and it's a very good price point. The HDPE has really good chemical and UV performance. It comes in wide roll formats. These, these are polyethylene rolls here, HDP rolls here. It's about, about um, six, six to eight meters wide. Can't be prefabricated um, and uh, doesn't cope well with flexing. Uh, it's, it's a good material for static covers. NLDPE um, has, has better flexing performance than HDPE, uh, but it's less robust uh, chemically and um, with UV. Um, also comes with wide roll format, format, can be prefabricated. And then we get some specialist polyethylene formulations, some that have been um, deliberately 
um, formulated to provide good flex and performance of chemical resistance, and even some um, uh, multi-layer systems so the outer skins are different to the um, the core of the material to create some particular properties. And um, and the scrim reinforced uh, um, polyethylene available from a particular manufacturer uh, in North America, actually. Um, polypropylene um, has been used um, quite, a, quite a bit with floating covers, but with dynamic floating covers. Um, all these three materials here are, um, are scrim reinforced, available scrim reinforced, and that, that gives us a substantial increase in mechanical properties, which is helpful. Polypropylene has a very good flexing performance. All these materials have good flexing performance, but repairability can be difficult um, on aged materials. Polypropylene is sort of mid-ranking mid in terms of chemical attack, resistance to chemical attack and UV performance. And then the bottom two materials here, I've mentioned before, uh, CSP, CSPE, chlorosulfonated polyethylene, or often known as hypolon, and EIA, which is correctly ethylene interpolymer alloy. Um, it's a PVC that's uh, alloyed with um, a solid plasticizer dew points elbowloid often again referred to as an elbowloid material and they both materials are uh, uh, premium options uh, they've got very good flexing performance they've got very good mechanical properties they've got good uv performance and chemical performance um, repairability can be a bit of an issue with um, cspe as it ages and um, csp does come in narrow, narrow roll formats as well which is um, not, not, not necessary so moving on to construction um, so for particularly for um, dynamic covers, um, it's preferable to do as much um, pre-work um, in a fabrication facility before going to the site. So we, we would always create um, shop drawers like this, uh, particularly because premium materials tend to be narrower roll formats. We want to prefabricate those narrow rolls into, into much larger panels. You can see here's an example of the panels are being fabricated. In fact, these are the panels for this particular job. The other thing we do that uh, we, we think is really important is we construct these um, these ballast lines. These geometry controlling features are all uh, prefabricated um, in the factory. Uh, we can fabricate to a much better level of precision, accuracy, and then when we get to site, we'd um, survey and set them very carefully, and that, that helps ensure the geometry of the um, the cover is perfect. Obviously, uh, fabricating in the factory means that we're also uh, building in a controlled environment in terms of temperature, sun loading, wind, dirt, dust, and so forth. And so generally, the quality of um, the work is, uh, is better uh, in the factory. Um, constructing on site. Um, typically, um, uh, the storages would be lined and covered. This, this example below, you can see um, that's actually a uh, polyethylene um, liner. Got to be careful when installing the cover, not, not to damage um, the lining system. I mentioned setting out the um, the controlling geometry. So you can see here that central uh, balance lines being surveyed and set and put in position. And you can see they're shortly going to put. Um, this is a Y configuration balancing system. That they're going to put in this this section over here. Again, you can see here, this is actually um, uh, same material liner and cover. So this is actually the, uh, the liner here. Here's the Y configuration ballast features that were, were prefabricated in the battery. And the, the, um, the cover has now been brought in and welded to cover panels to this, this here. Um, important to build these things um, to be relatively clean. You can see it's a little bit um, dirty here. As we, as we construct, we'll be cleaning as we go particularly with potable water, um, uh, depending on the, uh, the design, we'll often have to inflate um, the floating cover when it's empty and do a final clean inside the cover and disinfect before starting the commissioning um, process. Um, now I'm going to talk about asset, uh, asset life. Um, it's quite, quite um, helpful to maintain the, um, the asset. Um, keeping it clean, keeping the ballast lines um, free of debris that will wear and chafe, 
uh, keeping the cover operating as, as the design was intended to be. Uh, it does extend the life. Um, it's it, Good maintenance practices are not so common. These, these examples here are a little bit extreme, um, but uh, not altogether uncommon. You can see removing this cover here was, um, we, we built the cover, it was uh, about 18 years into its life before we actually did any maintenance at all on the cover. And you can see here removing, uh, removing trees. From the ballast lines, the ballast lines all clogged with vegetation here, pulling game vegetation out. These pumps here and these couple of examples um, completely clogged with vegetation, not working at all. Um, again here, the cover very, very dirty, uh, ballast lines choked. So good, good maintenance practices will extend the, uh, the life of the asset. Inspections. Um, uh, it's much better to um, fix any minor uh, repairs uh, early before they become too serious. So regular inspections, keeping a photographic record, comparing one year's inspection with the next is, is, is best practice. These, these photographs at the bottom, they're all from inside um, that storage that, uh, on the previous slide. Um, and you can see you can see you can see very clearly from the dive inspection um, where there are um, uh, cracks or holes in the cover. You can see more clearly than you can by inspecting the above usually. And you can see here um, splits and holes in the cover. You can see here there's blistering uh, of the material. This, this material is way past its um, its uh, sell by date. Frankly, though, it's still in service. To avoid getting into that situation, uh, we can do uh, forensic assessments of the materials. Uh, we can uh, make sure that the material has, still has good mechanical strength um, um, so that it's safe to traffic on the cover. Um, and also we can um, uh, predict uh, the remaining life of the cover and therefore help to plan uh, any, uh, any, any life cycle changes for, for the cover. Just, um, uh, I'll just like these pictures. They're, uh, uh, that's the same um, cover again. This is a diver's view of uh, what he does when he's doing his work. And then so some, some case studies. Um, this is a potable water uh, storage uh, in, in South Australia. Polyethylene uh, liner. Uh, here's an interesting feature. So we, we uh, design these laterals. These can be operated as the inlet system, uh, as chlorine uh, injection system, or just as a recirculating system. The reason being the storage has an inlet at one end, an outlet at the other, and the water tends to um, go straight through the storage and doesn't mix much at all. Um, and so the, these uh, laterals, they've got ports running along the length of the laterals of a certain size and a certain angle. Um, and so they, they cause water to, to um, circulate inside the storage. Um, and they've also been designed to, um, to, to operate effectively at different height, cover heights, not just at the one cover height. Um, the um, now familiar um, walkways, sampling ports, air vents. Nice, you can see the how uh, clean and straight the ballast line feature is. This is all, this is related to the factory prefabrication and set out on site. Stormwater pump system here. In this case, um, the client um, was um, keen to have inflation capability. So this feature here at the edge of the storage, that's actually an inflation port. So we can remove that, that cap and we put a, a, an air pump on there and then we can, uh, we can blow the cover, up, inflate the cover. Another potable water example. Um, so this was a concrete um, liner with a polypropylene cover. Um, uh, in, it was originally uh, just a, a cross in terms of balance lines. Uh, the polypropylene cover reached the end of its life. It hadn't got to the point where it was fading, unlike those earlier photographs. Um, and um, the, the, the concrete basin was uh, relatively poor condition, so it actually was um, a, a, a less costly and more secure solution to uh, patch uneven concrete and then line um, the, the basin rather than try and make the concrete watertight. 
Um, we've got um, cushion protection there on the concrete to help uh, protect the liner. Um, this was built in um, uh, yeah, EIA material. Again, you can see the, uh, the typical uh, water features. Some wastewater uh, treatment examples. These three are all um, uh, static covers. So this, this facility here is a wastewater facility in Victoria. Uh, its, it's function uh, is odour control primarily. Uh, the gas isn't used, it's just uh, to look after the nearby residents. This was built in um, uh, multi-layer polyethylene material, special material. It's a negative pressure cover. So this is the cover operating in this top photograph here. Um, this is the cover. Um, in, case, uh, in case the gas extraction system um, had a failure, the cover was designed to cope with pressure as well so that it could store gas um, for a week um, without any damage. And this is uh, during commissioning, uh, demonstrating the storage um, capacity of the cover. Here actually as well, interesting note so for um, gas covers that I think about technician sources again. So here we've got off cover pumps. Uh, these are the water lines here. This is actually going under, underneath the crest and the pumps are uh, a safe distance away from the gas cover. You see here secured to a concrete uh, beam and backing system. These two, um, these two examples over here, they're both um, industrial wastewater examples. They're both uh, winery effluent ponds in, um, for some of um, South Australia's finest wineries. Um, the covers, um, uh, these are examples of uh, relatively lower cost covers, uh, so the, the clients are, are happy to um, uh, replace on a more regular basis. They use less expensive materials. The, um, the purpose of the covers is to stop rainwater getting in, inventory management. Uh, they uh, don't smell too good, so odour control. And in both cases, they uh, take the gas into their facility and reduce their, um, their energy bills. This one was built in uh, both uh, negative pressure covers. This was built in HDP, this is built in LLTP. And um, last slide, Tim. Um, so here we have, um, move this out of the way, sorry. So here we have a um, positive pressure cover. This is the cover at its normal operating um, pressures. This is the cover um, as the pressure's building. It's, a, it's an anaerobic reactor. Um, it's a food processing facility and they take the gas and pump it into the facility to reduce the energy bills. Uh, the, this, the reactor was built um, about uh, 20 years or so ago. Um, the cover needed removing because it was um, it was failing and also because it desludge the lagoon. That's a cover off, emptied, desludged, repair some leaks in the liner actually, and then put, refill and put the new cover on. It was also built in multi-layer multi polyethylene. And uh, they also, the reason they wanted, uh, they needed um, positive pressure capabilities. The plant works um, five days, but the reactor's uh, producing gas seven days. So at the weekends, um, they, they accumulate gas rather than flaring it, that they can then um, use during the course of the next week. And then um, this example below is, um, in the uh, very north of um, Australia. It's tropical climate, very, very high um, rainfall. It's a, a landfill leach-shaped lagoon. Um, uh, and there's an issue with um, in inventory management of that, that leach-shaped because it's um, contaminated with, um, with rainwater. It's also cyclonic, um, uh, so that adds further complexities in the design. So it's a new build, um, lined and covered storage, you can see um, central plate configuration uh, built in LLDP. And Tim, I think that's my last slide. Great. Thanks, Graham. <clears throat> right, we'll... time as well. Time's fine, Graham. Uh, now we'll start the questions. Um, Graham, first question is Can you discuss methane gas venting options? for liners at the bottom of lagoons? In other words, how, how can that methane that's unfortunately left underneath the geomembrane be vented? Uh, you, um, I think the, um, there's a couple of things you can do. You want a bit of grade on the lagoon floor. 
um, and then we would normally put um, uh, geocomposite drainage strips that provide a pathway across the floor up to the crest and have a, an exit port or exit ports on the uh, on the crest. Okay, and so then there's no vent on the on the bottom. It's just up on the crest near the anchor trenches. Yeah, yeah, I have come across Tim examples where um, um, uh, it's not been possible. Uh, it's an existing facility with a problem, and um, I haven't done it, but people have created a hole, a port, and a pipe that comes up through the lagoon. Um, um, uh, so that can also be done. Yeah. Okay, uh, Graham, you mentioned using floating covers associated with landfill leachate, which I think is great. And certainly in humid environments or rainy environments, that's a good way to reduce the cost of leachate processing by putting a floating cover over top of the leachate. Um, any thoughts about? Um, Covering leachate ponds. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So um, this, um, the slide, are the slides visible still, Tim? Yes, they are. So th this is an example here. This one here. So this was um, um, a mine site as it happened, and their um, their landfill system. They had a problem with processing the quantity of leachate because of um, rainwater increasing the volumes. Yeah. So uh, that had a floating cover. Um, that's general nor northern Australia is generally I can think of examples that's one very very uh, north uh, Mackay we did one in Mackay which is not quite as far north but north of Brisbane um, as well so we've, we've done um, probably half a dozen um, landfill leachate covers oh, been great. Recent. great perfect um, back to water containment situations what's a typical floating cover in square meters for a water a potable water in system Ooh, um so they, they vary a fair bit um so i find smooth so th this is a this is a in in north america Untypical. This 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 cover here that Doug sent me about seventy thousand square meters. I'm not sure quite how big. Maybe a hundred thousand square meters would be about as big as they guess. Probably in Australia, the biggest is one hundred eighty thousand square meters. Um, that's a facility in Sydney. That that's quite exceptional. It's a huge huge cover. Yeah. Uh, more, they're more typically the water authorities here in Australia. More typically have a um, a dispersed infrastructure so they don't have one very large uh, facility they'll have several smaller ones so they're typically um, up to shall I say uh, 50 60 thousand square meters in surface area great you a typical size would be 10 20 30 thousand square meters of area okay uh, next question Graham is which type of geocomposites are being applied underneath the bottom liner to avoid whale backs or whales showing up. Any suggestions? In, interesting, because a, a similar question. So gen, generally, the assets that we're dealing with, um, the um, the subgrades being carefully prepared, and there are there are no uh, organics in the subgrades. So gassing is isn't mostly isn't a problem. Um, if there is a concern about um, um, gassing from the subgrade, um, uh, frankly, a cheap and cheerful uh, biplaner um, five mil composite's fine. Doesn't need much capacity at all. We're, and we typically not pr provide 100% coverage. We typically have strips maybe 20% um, of the uh, floor covered. Oh, great! 20%. Good. Um, next question is, polypropylene and CSPE were characterized as difficult to repair during your presentation. What are the challenges repairing polypropylene? 
Um, well, that's, I'll give you an example, um, uh, a live example today. So there's a, there's a floating cover, polypropylene floating cover. Uh, uh, it's um, about 12 years old. It's on a winery um, effluent storage. Um, and um, we want to do some residual live testing. And before we, um, we cut holes in the cover, we always make sure that we can get a suitable repair. And we cannot, we cannot uh, get a repair on this material. Um, uh, so I, to answer your question, that's not always the case. So I think it depends on the polypropylene formulation. Um, it's never that easy, but usually we can repair it. But in this particular case right now, we cannot get a suitable weld. So we're unable to cut samples where we want to cut samples to, um, to um, test the material. Uh, CSPE um, is probably uh, more consistent. Uh, CSPE um, uh, uh, vulcanizes with, with age um, and becomes uh, difficult to weld. Uh, it's weldable. It requires um, uh, particular skills to do so that aren't necessarily uh, widely available. Um, it's tricky. Um, you can't, uh, as it gets aged, you, know, you have to do chemical welding, gluing. You can't thermally weld it. Uh, but it can, with care, be maintained. EIA, um, benefit of EIA is that it um, uh, is relatively easy to repair through its whole life. Okay. Um, is Next question. Is there any record or estimation on how many floating covers are currently in the world? I don't know that. I know how many there are in um, Australia, pretty much. Um, uh, we've, we've got records of um, going back. The first covers in Australia were built probably about 30 years ago now, 35 years ago. Um, and uh, and we, we pretty much know where all of them are. Um, top of my head, I'd say in Australia, there would be maybe 100. North America, I don't know. Worldwide, I don't know. Yep. Okay. Um... Second part of this question, I, I don't know that you can answer this or even should. How old and how big is this market? Maybe let's just answer how old is this market? Uh, in this, in Australia? Yeah. So, the, so Australia followed um, North America. The first covers um, that were uh, that were installed in Australia, uh, the the the, the knowledge, the IP, effectively came from North America. The oldest covers um, in Australia would be around about 35. I think there's a cover that's about 37 years old in Victoria, and that would have been one of the first that was ever built. Um, they really, um, they really became um, the technology. That early technology wasn't so um, so reliable. The materials have got better. Uh, the construction methods, designs have improved, as you, as you might expect. And probably about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, was when, when the market became relatively active, much more active than previously. Um, and it's a relatively active market today. There's a fair amount of, there's probably um, as much or more uh, life cycle uh, refurbishment um, activity than there is um, new build. Okay. What techniques are used to reduce wrinkles during construction <laughs> that's that's um <laughs> company intellectual property <laughs> um so, I might, so so there's a good example if you can see that picture uh, that's exactly what you do want to see that curve is is not under very much tension but it's absolutely perfectly flat and taut um and there's a so there's a number of ways you achieve that um the, the correct design I mentioned um, during the presentation um, precision construction of all those features and precision set out. And then when you uh, when you physically install um, on site, unlike a liner, where you, where you just pull the panels together pretty much and weld together um, and make them relatively neat, um, and they'll tend to wrinkle and move uh, as as the day gets hot and cold. Uh, anyway, with a cover, you have to specifically um, tension create the right tension as you construct. There are certain techniques um, that we use to, to do that. Okay. Um, this is another uh, questionable 
question, but what would be the average price of supply and installation of an EI floating cover for 5,000 square meters? And maybe we should do this in, uh, I don't know, maybe a percentage above something else, or I don't know, I'll let you handle it. <laughs> um, so 5,000 is a relatively uh, small storage. Um, so the, the, co the cost um, gets less with a um, couple of factors to think about. The, co the cost drivers, maybe I should talk about cost drivers, Tim. So the cost generally gets a bit less with size because you get efficiencies. So a small cover is more expensive to build uh, per square meter than a larger cover. Depends on the, um, the sophistication. This, this picture in front again is a good, good example of a, a, a the client wanted a sophisticated design. You can simplify the design, have less function, still providing the, um, the protection that's, that's sought, but um, less other functions, related functions, and save some money there. Um, and the biggest driving force generally in, in the cover is the material, as the questioner rightly points out. Um, the, um, the, the cost uh, of the premium materials is um, several times, if the bottom end of the market in terms of price is polyethylene, uh, the premium materials are a number of times more expensive. Um, but you will, you will generally uh, get a better asset life. And the, and the, re the recycle cost um, is obviously uh, quite high because you've got to remove the old cover, do some remediation, build the new cover. So um, we've had a couple of examples um, recently where uh, we've had a, an outline specification um, to work with and as part of our design and construct contract and the materials selected by the um, uh, by the asset owner have been um, lesser expensive materials uh, thinking that that would be um, the most cost-effective way to go and we, we offered both what was um, initially requested and premium materials with, uh, with with overall life cycle costing over an extended period, 60 years, and uh, and in in several cases we demonstrated that the more expensive material was the lower lower overall asset life cost, and indeed the client then went down that path. Yeah, kind of answers the question. Okay, Graham. During the presentation, you mentioned several different types or polymers of geomembrane, CSPE, PP, EIA or Elvaloy, um, LLDPE, HDPE. Could you give the thickness that is typical for each one of those polymers? So polyethylene comes for covers, um, comes, um, is made from very thin film, 0.3 millimeters, sorry, mill in the states 0.3 millimeters um through about um uh, three mils about as thick as it gets i think generally but in floating cover applications we we have done covers um at the um the cheap and cheap end of the market in 0.75 uh or one millimeter uh, covers of that thickness more typically we'd be using um we use uh, 1.25 a bit and one one for uh dynamic covers and um, and 1.5 uh, or 2 mil for static covers when we're using polyethylene. For um, for the scrim reinforced materials, polypropylene, CSE, EIA, the, um, the the mechanical properties uh, are all derived from the scrim that, that uh, layer uh, in between the two outer coatings. That's where the strength comes from. And so the thickness of the material is more to do with the um, the chemical uh, resistance or um, UV performance, um, and if a little bit thicker, um, usually will give slightly better UV performance. So typically, um, the industry revolves around actually 1.14 millimeters, which is um, around the number of mil thickness. Um, so typically, around about one mil uh, is most commonly used, one millimeter. Um, some applications uh, go a bit thicker, 1.5 millimeter, and that's to get a thicker coating of the resin over the scrim. Okay. Um, currently, what is the percentage of covers being used to harvest methane? Uh, 
In other words, of all the covers, is it 10%, 20% for methane? With um, of the work that we've done the last five years, say, I'd say about a third of the work is uh, methane harvesting. But the, um, as I indicated, the trends are generally uh, increasing. We're seeing, in terms of trends, Tim, we're seeing an, an increase in, um, in methane as an issue to, uh, related to um, greenhouse gases. And, uh, and in, interestingly, in Australia here, um, water in some applications is moving from um, the cost of water, stopping evaporation, so I, haven't, uh, I don't have to buy any more water, I want to stop it evaporating, to um, it's not available, it, it's, you can't secure it. There are some um, mining applications where they can't access water, and if they can uh, preserve the water with a floating cover, um, they can effectively get more, more processing capacity uh, and therefore more uh, revenue. The, the um, economic equations changed quite significantly. Okay. Um, HDPE would not typically be used in Europe due to the behavior in relation to with high temperature. What is your opinion? We would suggest a reinforced material instead of HDPE. Do you agree? Uh, I'm not sure I do. Do we know the application? Uh, no application. It looks like just a floating cover. So this uh, this um, illustration on the right, that's Europe, that's Southern Spain, that's HDPE. Uh, we use HDPE um, on static covers in Australia. Our temperature would be much higher than, um, or as high as some parts of Europe, generally much higher than, than Europe would be. Um, and uh, they're perfectly serviceable. You do need to use uh, relatively premium materials with good uh, additive packages that give good UV performance. Um, we usually use materials that are of a higher standard than the minimum GRI GM13 standard. But no, I don't see why uh, you couldn't be using um, HDP in applications that we use in, in, in Europe. Okay. Um how about how many uncovered reservoirs are there in Australia? Uh, well, there's there's, there's lots. Um, um, where where um, I suppose what I'm trying to think now where where evaporation is. So in in for example, um, oil and gas where they're storing. Uh, water that's a byproduct of their production processes, it doesn't have any uh, value. It's actually a nuisance, really. Um, there's no, there's no need to cover it. Um, if it evaporates, that's actually helpful. They have to store it and process it. Um, so there'll be lots that wouldn't. Um, if I think about um, maybe a different way of is thinking about um, how many um, assets are there that could be covered beneficially. Um, not that many, actually. Not that many. I'm thinking potable water. Most of the potable water reservoirs in in Australia are are covered, as an example. Yeah, I think he's talking about potable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, next question. Um, could you elaborate, please, on the central plate design feature, including advantages, disadvantages, and alternative design types? Yeah, there's a few there's a few things here. So um, one one of the benefits of a, a, a central plate is if I look at this picture here, because you've got two ballast lines effectively. If we had just a Y configuration with one ballast line through the middle here, um, you're taking half the material slack in in there and half there. So the amount of material in that ballast line when the when the storage is full is is half is less. So you, you get less flexing in the ballast line. You've got a less deep trough in the ballast line. In the storage, such as this, um, uh, this, this design by uh, Doug here, um, there'd be an awful lot of material in that ballast line because of the depth it tells us here. So we're 18 meters deep. There'd be an awful lot of material in the ballast line. So having, a, having two ballast lines is in, a, in a storage like that is, is, is definitely beneficial. Um, 
that's one of the major considerations. Another consideration um, is um, is here. I get to the end here. So we deliberately, in this case here, wanted to um, to put the ballast um, as close to the batter as possible um, for wind wind management purposes. That's also it's slightly more expensive if you have a central boat. It's a slightly more expensive solution. You've got more more features um, in the cover. It also means to access uh, onto the cover. So I can find the picture quickly. To access onto the cover, where's that going to be? You can see here the ballast line. So you've got to traffic over the ballast line to get onto the cover. So you've got a bit of a safety uh, issue to deal with, whereas if you've got a double Y, um, that's less of an issue. I suppose another another occasion you see, sometimes I've seen a number of large storages, whether the intermediate batter, and you might put balance lines on that intermediate batter as well as in the tow. Uh, I suppose the most easy, the easy way of defining the difference would be on generally large storages tend to have um, um, uh, central plate configurations and smaller ones tend to be um, double Y. Okay. Uh, Graham, during the presentation, you mentioned cleaning between the two liners. Yes. Can Can you elaborate on how to do that? Yeah. So um, one of the, what, one particularly of the water authorities we work with, uh, they always want us to, uh, as part of the construction process, uh, to disinfect um, and the, the liner uh, before they start putting their water into storage, and we then get the process of um, getting the chlorine balance right and so forth with the water. So in that in those cases, uh, we we have a two-step process. We'll uh, we'll inflate. The cover so the storage is built but empty important that the um, the inlet and outlet systems are um, correctly isolated there's no risk of any water getting in when we put people inside the storage um, we inflate the cover with um, with air we put air pumps onto specially designed hatches there's a, a special opening as well in the in the cover um, and so we can go inside the storage we go inside and we uh, we disinfect um, manually with people disinfect with disinfectant water, brooms, pumps, and we clean, clean the storage to re reasonably high standard. Then we then we, we exit the storage, we uh, let the cover come back down again, and then we'll put a small amount of water in, maybe only um, uh, half a metre uh, depth, and we'll flush um, flush through with uh, relatively high levels of chlorine, and, and then we'll start doing the proper water uh, conditioning. Okay. Um, is Hypalon CSPE still used frequently with respect to environmental issues? Um, can you elaborate, Tim, environmental issues? Uh, it just says environmental issues. Maybe uh, why don't we do waste containment first? The, um, uh, Hypalon's... Um, Premium material um, and um, uh, excellent properties, but it is expensive, and, the, and that price does preclude it from the more cost-sensitive um, applications. Its most most common application in Australia would be potable water, um, and it, there's uh, quite a few um, uh, applications here um, where that's been used and still is used. Um, in potable water applications. Wastewater uh, tends to be a lower price point uh, cover design system. Okay. Uh, it, what would be the preferred alternative then to Hypalon? Yeah, EIA. They're, they're, diff they're quite different in terms of their chemistry. One's a rubber, one's PVC. But in terms of the, the, the properties that they provide, um, they've got similar mechanical strength because it's primarily derived from the um, uh, from the scrim. Um, they both have um, good UV performance. Both have good uh, chemical performance. Impotable water chlorine uh, resistance is very important. PVC derived materials got chlorine. It's very very good with chlorine. Um, they're um, uh, 
so, um, you've had a long debate as to which is the best. Some people would argue the CSG is better than the EIA, some the opposite. Um, they both have a place in the marketplace, they're both excellent materials. Okay. All right, Graham, um, we're, we're over time and uh, I think we've covered most of the questions. So uh, before we end, I want to encourage everyone to visit the FGI website. It's fabricatedgeomembrane.com. The, there's a lot of new information on the FGI website, including the brand new FGI podcast series. So please check it out. Our next webinar is March 24th, 2020 at noon central time. And the topic is stormwater management using geosynthetics, including under, underground or subsurface stormwater management. And the speaker is Terry Sheridan of GeoStorage. So I hope you'll tune in for that. So, Graham, thanks again for a very interesting and thought-provoking webinar. You could see that by the number of questions. And thanks for joining us from Adelaide, Australia. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Graham.